Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the symbiotic relationship between performance and brand marketing. Today, we have our guest, Kamel Rexton, joining us. Kamel is the general manager of 42 Agency, a B2B agency that helps SaaS companies scale demand generation and build RevOps infrastructure. He has worked in RevOps growth and demand gen for the last 12 years at companies like CrowdRiff and Uberflip. Uberflip. Uh, he uses a scientific approach when it comes to marketing. So rather than believing whatever is trending, he experiments and whatever proves to be effective is what matters to him. So welcome, Kamel. Super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So let's uh, let's start this episode off really simple, right? Like just for our audience to, to kind of set the base here. Can you start off by sharing what are, in, to our audience, what is demand generation? Oh, great question. So the way I view demand generation is any marketing that is focused on directly generating pipeline and revenue. So you can call it direct response, you can call it performance marketing, you can call it growth marketing, you can call it whatever have you. And also in my view, demand generation also includes a little bit of the RevOps work because ultimately, like I view demand generation as an umbrella that includes marketing, includes RevOps, the backend infrastructure, experimentation, all that stuff. And I tend to view as demand gen as something that happens when you sell to more enterprise or market companies where you're partnering up with your sales team on revenue goals versus growth marketing might be something where you're selling more SMB freemium where you're getting people on a trial and then the product and the lifecycle pieces take over to get them to convert into a customer. Got it. So you you run your agency, forty two agency. So you're working more RevOps. So you're working with more. You're working with sales teams and helping them generate pipeline. Uh, more. These are more kind of hot, maybe you know enterprise clients. Is, does that sound about right? Yeah, we do. We do work with some SMB folks as well, but the majority of our focus is more on the enterprise side. Enterprise side. Okay, great. All right. So good to have that kind of background. So and then we have you know when we're thinking about building pipeline, you know, there's two thoughts, right? You have demand generation, and then you also have brand marketing, right? We're trying to decide. Um, you know, the difference between them, where should we spend, where should we focus our attention, especially when it comes to, you know, the, the higher market industry. And as a founder, um, you know, should I choose one or the other or how do they kind of complement each other? So uh, this friend, my, a friend of mine, Michael Lorenzo, he wrote this great essay about the false dichotomy between brand and performance. So we tend to view as, we tend to view them as two different things that, serve two different purposes, but actually they're pretty complementary. And they essentially the way I view it is brand marketing gets more people to buy in 12 months, like a more longer term view. And performance marketing is focused on getting people to buy in the short term. So if you only do brand marketing, you're focusing more on the people who are not in market right now and getting them aware of your product because how are they ever going to buy your product if they don't even know you exist and who you are? But if you only do performance marketing, you're going to run out of people to sell to because there's only a finite number of people who are actually looking for a certain product at the given time. So uh, it's kind of like complementary to each other because if without brand marketing, you're going to run out of oxygen pretty soon on your marketing side because there's like, I mean, very tactical example, there's X number of searches on Google for a certain keyword every day or every month and there's like a finite ceiling to that. 
but then there's a whole other universe of people who might fit, fit into your ideal customer profile, but they're not actively searching on Google. So like making them aware that, hey, we exist, this is a problem we solve for, and that's more of a longer term play versus performance marketing might be focused on, hey, we need to like generate revenue in like this quarter, so we need to hit our revenue goals. And can you do, you know, if, if, if I'm thinking of how they complement each other, if you're doing one or the other. Okay, so if you're doing brand marketing, okay, I understand it's more of a long-term play. You're building the trust with the leads and then eventually they come to you. They already have that trust and you have that recognition of your brand. But if you're only doing performance marketing and you, do, you don't have like, you don't have any brand, would you say you're as effective? Like, would you, if you don't do any, like say zero brand marketing, would your conversion you think would be equal? Conversion rate? I think uh, you'll see an uplifting conversion. So we've done some studies on our side where we looked at customers and we built a data model on our customers trying to understand like what is the impact of brand marketing, which I can define as like video campaigns on YouTube. Like what is that? And because video campaigns on YouTube are not like, you know, nobody's clicking and directly going to the website and signing up for a product, but they might see it and then they might come back from another channel. So we do see an uplift in like brand campaigns one brand companies are running, you tend to have a lower CPC, lower CPA on your performance marketing campaigns. The other thing is that uh, you performance marketing itself can also help reinforce a brand just by the virtue of you keep seeing somebody's ads all the time everywhere. So like you go on LinkedIn, you go on Facebook, you go somewhere else and you like their ads pop up. And they're like, okay, it's like that's also sort of reinforcing that brand in the prospect's mind. Makes sense. Okay. So it's always worth kind of doing both if you can, but short term, you want to hit up some uh, dementia. Yeah. yeah. What are some, uh, maybe say top four, three or five mistakes that you see, you know, B2B SaaS companies making when they're trying to implement, you know, dementia and RevOps kind of together. And where you, that's why where you come in and see the, the, the opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple of things. One is uh, the, it's technical infrastructure. They don't have it set up right. They don't have the right tracking code. They don't have the right parameters. They don't have the campaign set up right. Uh, especially on page social and display, creative can make a big difference. So a lot of companies will run uh, campaigns with like terrible creative and then they write it out that it doesn't work. But we found that creative makes a big difference. Uh, not understanding channel economics. So like... If I'm selling to a larger target market like SMBs, Facebook might work better for me because it's lower cost and has a wider reach. But if I'm selling to more enterprise companies, I might be investing more in LinkedIn because I can get hyper targeted on enterprise and like build our custom audiences, account level audiences, all that stuff. Uh, not only treating channels in isolation. So we've seen this a lot where YouTube ads will have an uplift in organic and direct. So like when you're running YouTube ads, you tend to see an uplift in organic and direct conversions where you stop YouTube ads, they go back to it. So even though you can't directly attribute something to a YouTube ad because YouTube by nature, like you're not clicking on it, uh, you can't write it off a channel because it's like a media mix. So it's like YouTube search, paid social, billboards, all that stuff sort of working together, not in isolation. Got it. So you mentioned about the the creative piece. What's the what is the main issue there? Do you see that the quality is this this image versus video, or just kind of the the, the this is not as you know quality image? We actually see static images perform better for direct response campaigns than video. But it's like you have to when you think about creative, it's not just your your ad in the feed. You're also like Netflix is trying to reach the same audience because 
they're not just VP marketing at a SaaS company, they're also watching Netflix. So like Netflix might be one of their ads. They might be seeing ads from Monday.com or whatever. So like you kind of have to stand out in the feed. Uh, if your creative is like, just like everybody else is, it kind of blends into it, then you're not really stand out. So like using a mix of different illustrations, like we do a lot of creative work for our clients where we use illustration versus static versus motion graphics and like different types to see what works best. Uh, also pushing the envelope a little bit on the brand. So not like completely going off brand, but like pushing the envelope within the brand guidelines. So like making the colors pop a little bit more because, you know, you're on LinkedIn, your feed is white. If you see something black, it kind of stands out more versus like something with a white background that might kind of blend into the feed itself. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you mentioned also about, you know, LinkedIn ads, you know, that's the, kind of a good channel to focus, especially if you're going kind of more enterprise. And that's something we hear a lot about founders who want to experiment with LinkedIn ads or they have, but, you know, with the um, the enterprise client, it's also a longer sales cycle. So how do you kind of yeah. justify, right? You run it for two months, maybe you'll get, generate a bunch of leads, but an enterprise client is not going to close in that, that month. Yeah. So what is that kind of process? What do you recommend to them there? So there's two plays we can do. One is like, just look at a cohort of when you generated the leads from LinkedIn and when they close. Because uh, if you if you run LinkedIn today and you expect to find a close customer within a month, but your sales cycle is six months, that's not realistic. So you have to give it that full sales cycle length to understand. The second is like making sure your economics make sense because on LinkedIn, your average cost per click is say 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Out of 20 bucks, you might get a conversion rate of 10, 20%. And that's like a, you know, an average cost per lead of say 500. But if your average customer value is a hundred bucks, then that the economics don't make sense. But if your average customer value is $5,000, then if you can close like a healthy percentage of those demos into customers, then it makes sense. And it's also not just linked in the channel, but what happens after playing. Like, are they getting followed up on entirely manner? Do they have, are they qualified? Are they getting followed? Like, are we getting them on a call or not? Why are they being disqualified? And then also auditing your LinkedIn placements, like your bid strategies to make sure you're maximizing those, uh, leveraging custom audiences because you might have a bunch of closed one customers. You can upload that into LinkedIn, create a lookalike audience. Or even if it's somebody's in an existing opportunity stage, it doesn't mean you should stop showing them ads because it can help move the pipeline, like move the deal along. So the messaging for like a top of funnel might be very different than like somebody who's an existing opportunity, but like you can leverage those to like increase your pipeline velocity. And typically for these type of leads, are you pushing them, you know, directly? To, because I know they also have lead gen form. Would you go in you know, a lead gen form and then try to nurture them through through email campaigns, or are you just trying to do it them to a to a demo, to a trial, and then depends. Push them? Yeah, yeah. Um, some most of the time we we use a lot of document ads now because document ads are like native native documents in LinkedIn that work pretty well. We use LinkedIn lead forms, but we put in their LinkedIn profile URL. Mm-hmm. So even like it's just a you know a signage check on is just the right kind of person I want to be talking to. Uh, we do a, if it's straight to demo, then we try and get them to like a revenue hero, which is like a calendar booking tool. So like they can, they go to the landing page, they fill out the form, the calendar pops up, they book a time. So like you're trying to shorten that time from like somebody saying, I want to talk to somebody to like either actually talking to somebody because there could be a big drop off between they fill out the form and then somebody follows up two days later. You're, you're not like the odds of getting on a call is pretty low. So you want to like shorten that time to leave. Because like, I don't know if just where I read the stat, but like the lead sort of decays the longer you wait. And like, it's like, if you follow within two days and the chances of booking your card, they're like 5%. Or so. 
So you want to start on that type of convergence. Like we use Revenue Hero with some of our customers that uh, straight up the landing page, they book a call right away. If they're qualified, if they're unqualified, then you can not sort of handle it. Over the document and the stuff, it's like, and it doesn't like the other thing is like, we try, we like to think about like people are in certain stages of the funnel, but the reality is like people might, you don't want to show specific, specific ads sort of, you want, you want to let themselves select what's best for them. So we don't hyper segment because I think when you hyper segment, you're just, you're getting less effective with your spend. Got it. That makes sense. And then uh, you talk about, you know, performance branding. How do we, how do you kind of look at it in terms of how it's, we say reinventing marketing ROI these days. So I think like traditionally we've looked at brand marketing as something very different that is not held accountable by the same rules of performance marketing. But I think the time horizons are different, but you can pretty much measure them in similar ways. And with performance branding, what I'm looking at is like good creative that are meant for direct response. Even if people don't convert on them, if there's links, if people see them repetitively, like Every time I go back to Monday because they spend a portfolio of money on paid media, like you just constantly see their ads every yeah. single time. Like they just everywhere. away from it. Yeah. On ClickUp, for example, like ClickUp is just everywhere you go. And then yeah. over time, you just like, okay, like these are performance ads, but they're also building that muscle memory for me that, hey, okay, next time I need a project manager tool, I've seen the ClickUp ads so many times in my Facebook feed that I'm just going to go to ClickUp and say, because like, <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, if, if I'm a, let's say I'm a brand new SaaS startup today, right? And I'm just looking to start off, uh, you know, starting to do brand or pre- performance marketing and trying to see how we can leverage them to work together. What are maybe my first steps I want to try to understand or think about or work through internally before I start, you know, designing a plan here? Uh, Emily Kramer has this great essay on engine versus fuel. So engine is your product positioning, your product messaging, your customer marketing, your like all the product marketing pieces need to come first. And you sort of have to understand who is it for, what, why do they care about it? How does this fit into the broader landscape of what, what other products are out there? And then performance marketing sort of adds fuel to the engine. So it helps you go faster, but if you don't have those foundational pieces in place, you're going to have a bad time to take performance marketing. And okay. I think outbound is more effective for early stage startups than I do performance marketing because with outbound, you get the direct feedback from the customers and like, hey, this thing works, this doesn't work, and I got to call, get your feedback, sort of understand what resonates, what doesn't resonate. And then performance marketing sort of helps you scale up what's working, but it doesn't like, help you lay that foundation that you build upon. Okay. Yeah, I think I've heard of that framework. So, okay, we talk about the, the fuel and the, the engine. So if I'm looking to generate my first, let's say 10K in MRR, what should I focus on? And then what, how does that compare between, let's say, going from 10K to 100K yeah. MRR? Which is, and then from there, I would say you know, 10 million. under a million, like we typically work with companies doing 5 million in AR. Under 5 million in AR, what we like to say is like you have to do hand-to-hand combat. So you have to go to events where your customers are, you have to like, Go to LinkedIn and find them and go talk to them and like, just do that hand-to-hand, very unscalable stuff because that helps you understand what do they care about, what are they struggling with, what causes them to buy something like this, what are the problems they're trying to solve, like the jobs to be done framework and all that stuff. So that helps you understand that. And then you also have to have a strong sales process, right? Because what if we generate, like you spend 100K on LinkedIn and we generate like 10, 10 demos off of it? 
But if you don't have a predefined sales process, you're not going to grow. Like that's a waste of money. So like you have to have a repeatable sales process before you can actually go in and like. Or if it's a female product, you have to have a good product lifecycle email flow and like good flow for people to like come in and experience the product, understand the value, and be able to sign up because we can generate a lot of price for you at a low cost. But if they get into the product and the value prop doesn't stand up and the product can't deliver the value, it's in promising that it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important. I guess also you know with your sales product, it's important to have you know really good sales process for outbound too, right? Because I know. You know, some SaaS companies are kind of more designed for inbound leads and, and kind of generating yeah. pipeline that way. But when you kind of go the outbound uh, way, I think it's a little bit different than how you approach it, right? And yeah. Trying to warm yeah. Them up. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, this, this has been great, Camille. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing kind of your insights and experience. Uh, we'd love to jump kind of to the second part of the episode, which is more of the rapid fire personal question. So sure. ready for that? Yes. All right. Let's do it. So Camille. Uh, what's one activity you enjoy outside of work that gets you into flow state? Outside of work, I have two small kids. So there's not much that gets me into flow state because it's always chaos. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love like uh, outdoors. So we live in Vancouver now and like, we love the outdoors, going hiking, mountains, all that stuff. And I enjoy reading. Nice, yeah. I guess work becomes your work. You're, you're, you're as close as you can get to flow state, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Um, what's one piece of advice, Camille, that you know you wish you had known if you can go back, you would tell, say, your 20-year-old self? Data is not everything. So uh, in marketing, I think we've over-indexed on data for the last, I would say, 10 years. And data is part of the story and also how you collect the data, where the data is coming from also matters a lot. So like we've been data driven to an extreme where it's been killing the creativity in the marketing piece. And I think you still need to make that emotional connection. So finding that connection outside, kind of stepping away from the data and, yeah. and uh, looking at it kind of more holistically. Makes sense. What are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow your, your agency, 40, you know, 42 agency, meaning, you know, what keeps you up at night these days other than your two kids? Hiring. Hiring is also, yeah, okay. it's what tough. You? Tough to find the right people that are the culture fit, the skills fit, and that stuff. I think any company is as good as the people you can hire, and ultimately that's that's what matters. Yeah. So is there any uh, roles you're looking for right now? If anybody listening in, looking for a position, maybe? We are pausing hiring for now because we are sort of at capacity. We have too many clients and we, we have like, we have good balance, but we are always hiring for designers. We are always hiring for strategists. So if you're interested, reach out and love to talk. Perfect. Okay. Um, who or what some of the best three resources? We can say books, mentors, or people you follow in the space who you'd say have been most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my old boss, Amita Gurney. She's at Float right now. She's been very instrumental in my career growth. I want to give a shout out to Emily Kramer, her newsletter, and just having her as a friend and advisor has been super, very helpful. Oh, too many people. Uh, Dan Basu, <laughs> who taught me a lot about the agency business. He runs part of my service. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the guy. He's super great. He's been helping me a lot to the business. Oh, man, so many people. Uh, Joffrey, who's a friend of mine and also a current customer, uh, I want to give a shout out to him. He's at A2X. Joffrey is head of marketing. I think they might be hiring too. So check out A2X. 
Uh, Tara Robertson, who's been challenging some of my assumptions. She's at Chili Piper right now. Uh, oh. There's a lot. There's a lot of people. There's a whole list, but yeah. Let's start there. Any, any books? Any favorite books? One or two? Uh, Creativity Incorporated. It's a story of Pixar. I really enjoyed that book. Um, um, there was a really great book, uh, Working Backwards, which is the story of how Amazon runs teams. That's been super instrumental. Those are the two that like sort of businessy books. Cool. Yeah, I do know Dev. I worked with him, you know, on some at his agency. We worked, you know, I had an agency in the past, and we worked with him on some projects back in nice 2015, 16, I think. Or something. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah, nice. Yeah. 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 So it's a good guy. Cool. Uh, can what does success mean to you today? Whether they're, you know, personally, business, financial life, it's not right. Uh, providing for my team so they can have financial flexibility, providing for my family so we can have financial flexibility, and then also using some of the like doing giving back to the community because like there was a very quick interview. Uh, I want to be in a position to be like, you know, be able to give, like there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, and I think sometimes like marketer or business people or whatever we get trapped in this bubble of ours. But there's like, we need to look outside and like take care of the people around us. All right. So seeing the, the, the beauty of kind of the financial side of how much you can help you, your family, but also. Yeah. Giving back to the community, broader world. Yeah. Like there's a lot of Afghanistan, Syria, you name it. Like there's so much stuff happening. So yeah. 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 Love it. Thank you. Uh, this, this has been great, Cam. I appreciate you kind of joining here and sharing Thank all you. your insights. Yeah, where, where can uh, you know, founders listening in get in touch with you, learn more about you and, and your company? Uh, we run a newsletter called 42slash.com. We write a ton of our playbooks and our stuff there. So definitely check that out. I'm on Twitter, uh, Carmel Rexton. You can give me a call on Twitter. I'm always there or email me, Carmel at 42.agency.com. 42 42agency.com. Yeah. All right, perfect. Yeah. All right, thank you, Cam. We'll add those uh, links to show notes so people want to hit him up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or also subscribe to his newsletter. That'd be that'd be great. So thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Kamal. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. as well. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.